Welcome back to the Adam and Dr. Drew Show Classics. I'm your host, Big Brother Jake, and we got a great one for you once again. I mean, every episode's great, or else you wouldn't be listening. Anyways, episode 509's first up, titled I Got My Nanny, that aired on February 2nd of 2017. Adam vits about how his dad is not like TV dads he grew up with, and how it made him bitter, and how he compared TV nannies to his own. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What's going on, Drewsker? Oh, let's see. Mm, I had the best night's sleep of my life last night. Really? Really. I, I've been, you know, I have this sort of bowel obstruction I get since my surgery. Mm-hmm. It's that prostate surgery. I get these little, I, this weird thing. I thought it was diverticulitis, but I actually think it might be intermittent bowel obstruction. And it just hits, and it just wears me out for a few days. And I can't sleep. I have pain at night. It's just, just a weird, fitful kind of couple of days. And then let's go. And mm-hmm. then I sleep. I, last night was the night I slept. I slept like a maniac. Like you know those nights when you wake up and you and you think, oh, this is just awesome. It's like glorious. Mm-hmm. Sleep is so good. Mm. I, I don't remember experiencing that as a kid. That came that came later in life. Well, it's funny. I was just having a nice uh, conversation with uh, my nanny Olga about this. Your uh, nanny. My nanny. Mm. She's now my nanny. Very interesting. It's a change. Eh, I mean, we're standing in my kitchen. Lynette's uh, out eating somewhere. The kids are playing video games. And eh, she's there for you. She's there grinding up my sludge <laughs> for the next day and working over the coffee pot. And uh, she's my nanny. And what'd she say? Well, I was talking to her. I was. Uh, Did she say address you as Mr. Adam? Yeah. Mr. Mr. Sonny's father? Yeah. That was uh, Miss Livingston from <laughs> the courtship of Eddie's father. She's a nice little. Japanese, Japanese lady. I don't know where Livingston came in. Uh, I mean, I could understand it if it was uh, Tashimoto. Well, or somebody's got to explain that she's married to Mr. Livingston or something. Mrs. Livingston was Japanese. Was Japanese, very Japanese. She was the. If you, I think, if you looked on Google, why was Mrs. Livingston called Mrs. Livingston? There would be an explanation. But go ahead. She was uh, uh, Bill Bixby's. Nanny slash, you know, sort of butler, because he was a single guy yep. having to raise uh, Eddie. His, Eddie, his I guess his kid. People I think back let then. Me tell you about my best friend. He's a little boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> God, we're pathetic. We're commercial. pathetic. That, all those uh, shows made me violently angry at my dad. <laughs> I don't know. Look at him. They're playing with a kite on the beach. My dad would never do that. Uh, you know, everyone thinks all these things are great depictions. They really just sent me into a depression spiral because I would sit around. I like to watch Sanford and Son because there's a poor old black guy like sitting on the beat up sofa and, and his his wreck of a house. And yeah. I go, that looks like <laughs> I us. Relate to that. When the Brady's somehow Ugh. it always hit home with me when the Brady's would have a meeting. Ugh. I don't know why, but well, we found we found finally found the couch they had the meetings on. Yeah. Yeah. Trundle. Yeah. Mike would, or something like it. Yeah, Trundle Bed. Uh, Mike Brady would call. No, no. Let's see. Well, Bobby, sorry. Uh, Gray, Bobby, Gray, Peter. Yeah, Mike. Mike Brady would call a Brady meeting. We're having a Brady meeting, he would say. There's Philly cheesesteak trying to come he in. He just bust studio. in. Oh, he uses his nose he's, as a weapon. He's like, he's like a tank. Yeah. He's like you know, the battling ram they use at the LAPD head, battering ram. Oh, my God. Daryl Gates, incarnate. No, he, uh, the thing about Phil is, uh, Phil uses his paws. Like, he stands outside. You put him outside, 
And he picks his paw up and he bang, bang, bangs. He doesn't do a kind of nudge or yeah. nuzzle or thing or bark or howl or anything. He just lifts his big, he has a big paw. Boo, 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 boo. He has muscles yeah. in his forearms and shoulders and stuff. And he just bangs his paw against <laughs> a, like a sliding door that vibrates. And you you have, you have no choice. You have, what is the matter with you? You have to get up and you have to go let him in or he'll come around and bang. What do you want, Philly? And if you come around... And you go to the next room, he'll walk outside the porch, come around, look through you, look look through the glass at you, and then bang on his on his thing. Okay. Now, hold on a second. <laughs> the Brady I don't know why the Brady meetings made me as de- as as depressed as I was, but for some reason, them going camping and you know, Marsha, 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 or Alice making dinner and calling everyone to the table or something. Well, that all seemed very fantastical mm, to me. Like too much. I couldn't imagine it. I kind of got that, all right, families can go camping or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But the Brady meeting, <laughs> for some reason, there's probably about four episodes where Mike would call a Brady meeting. Yeah. And first off, it'd be him standing there. There's a whole bunch of things that were fantastic about it. First, the whole family would just show up in the one room. Yeah. Carol would, like, put down her knitting. Like, she'd be knitting something. She'd put that aside. Mike would still be dressed from work, but he had his jacket off. Right. But he still had the tie on. Of course. You know, his sleeves cuffed up, you know. And, you know, then Alice would come in and go, like, a coffee, Mr. Brown? And she'd, like, pour the coffee. Thank you, Alice. Thank you. Thank you. She'd kind of back out of the room. And then they'd do this thing. That these problems were, like, Marsha, you're getting a B-plus in history, and that's not acceptable. <laughs> Huh. And, and and I was like thinking, my sister ran away. I don't. We don't know where she is. <laughs> We're living in a radon spewing shitbox, and I, I don't know what's going on here. Somebody got a B in algebra. What is, we need to talk about what, it with everybody. A meeting about this, and then they'd sit around and they're like, Bobby, I'm very disappointed in you. Your bike was left out in the driveway the other day. Now I'm going to have to ground you. And I was like, whoa, let's lift this bike. They have a driveway. This is awesome. And it sound, it all sounded insane to me because I could never picture having a conversation with my dad that resembled anything that yeah. involved this, this Brady meeting. And then, of course, everyone just agreeing to get along and, you know, correct whatever, whatever that was going on. And oh. that was it. I don't know why. Where'd Miss Livingston, where did she get the name Mrs. Livingston? Do we know? It appears that it was to suggest that she had been a war bride. but she That's was, what I was thinking. Like she had married some guy. Yeah. But she was born and raised in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Mr. Eddie's father. God. That wouldn't go over well today, I don't a think. War bride. Think about war that. War bride. What the? <laughs> Something matter with Livingston. Hey, man. Simpler times. Um yeah. And uh, now they couldn't have people get divorced back then. People had oh, to die. Had to die, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Brady's wife had he to was, die. He must have been a widower. Hold on. What do you want, Phil? <laughs> Phil's sitting and looking. Uh, he must have been. Yep. Yeah. You couldn't. His wife, Helen, died. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Everyone had to die back then. <laughs> so. Uh, the Bradys were, hey, uh, Carol Brady, you're 29. Yeah, you have three kids. Right. Husband died. Okay. And then you, Mr. Brady, you got three kids. You're 33. What happened to your wife? And she died. She was, you know, she was 31 and a half. So it wasn't unexpected. <laughs> what a chance everyone dies. And also, 
uh, family fair, both parents died. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's right. Buffy and Jody's parents died. Yeah. You want to talk about trauma. God, I, I find this, I'm having this very strange experience with all the theme songs start playing in my head. You want to talk about insane trauma. You are twins. You're five years old. Buffy and Jody, they're like five, four or five. They're twins. Both their parents die in like a car crash. And they get dropped off. At the most surly, <laughs> alcoholic Uncle Bill, this guy. What was the actor's name again? I've, the, the, uh, Brian the, Keith. Brian Keith. He was also in The Parent Trap, the original Parent Trap. You know what happened to Brian Keith? Died of alcoholism. <laughs> killed himself. Oh, well. He's one of these guys who killed himself at like 73. Yeah. You don't hear, I mean, you want to talk about a. I just, I just hear alcohol and that age and stuff. Yeah. You know what his uh, Mr. French was? What, Sebastian Cabot. That's right. <laughs> you get dropped off at two of the most surly, uptight dudes. <laughs> and it's not really clear what their situation was. You know what I mean? A little gay. They both had a little bit of something, something. Well, they, they clearly weren't together. The thing that was, but, well, the thing that was interesting is Mr. Um, sorry, Mr. French. Yes. <laughs> who was not French. Sebastian Cabot. He was sort of he, British. He was British. <laughs> He was, <laughs> what was that? this is the shittiest stuff. Well, he was the guy's butler. Yes. But the thing that's weird is the guy lived alone. Why did he need a butler? He lived alone in, in Manhattan. A, in a, a tiny apartment. Not he was, tiny. He was a confirmed bachelor. Yeah. Well, hmm. And he lived in this apartment in, in Manhattan and you know, like a doorman and stuff like something that. Something had to say super wealthy, even though it's a small he was, space. He was a he was like a successful yeah. architect or yeah. something. And I don't know why he needed a full time <laughs> live in dude, but like he'd come in like French, <laughs> give me some coffee. I had a long night last night. Oh, baby, right here, Mister. Uh, so so that was a weird yeah. conceit. Well, you have like, a nanny. I got kids. You got a nanny and a wife. She got to take care of everybody. And, and you got your nanny. Yeah, I got my nanny. Yeah, yeah. I need Mister French. Yeah. Welcome back to the Adam and Dr. Drew Show Classics. Up next is episode 749 titled, I Never Lie. That episode aired on January 19th, 2018. Adam and Dr. Drew talk about people that boast how great they are, always fall short. And man, do they. Listen up. So you and I were talking the other day about how people make declarations about their identity that are often a couple minutes away from who they actually are. What'd you say? Yeah, it's something that Drew and I have been talking about on the air and off the air, and I've been very interested in people that, uh, for instance, I've had a lot of people just announce that they are honest. Like one thing, you <laughs> like, how dare you call me a liar? Like <laughs> I never worst. lie. Like I will not lie. And then they they lie all the time. Well, that's the person you know does some lying. Strangely, but weird? I don't know that they know that's that the they're point. that they're lying. <laughs> and then I've also realized that people look. Everybody, let's be fair here. Everybody has a version of themselves that's in their head that feels a certain way that may not 
comport. I think that's the word. Is that word comport? Yeah, yeah. Comport with exactly what other people are saying. I'm like, here's hold on. Do you you declare who you are? Do you ever do that? I don't think I've ever done that. I'm the guy who's always on. I'm the guy who's never. uh, I don't think I. I I, I got to tell you, there are two people that have been in this company uh, over the over the years. The only two people that have ever announced that they were the best. Uh, they both got canned, <laughs> and they never got replaced with anybody. I, I don't even think they got replaced. They're, they're, so they like, were that good. They couldn't be replaced. I've literally had people like sit down and go, you know, nobody can do what I do. And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what you do. And I assume either nobody will do it or I'll get Kalen to do it. Like, <laughs> like that's now I now, So obviously whatever they think is going, whatever's going on in their head. Yeah. Is not what's going on in my head. No. And guess who's right more than they are? Right. Now, part of being the boss, it's your job to be right. I'll tell you what you can't do. Have people go, I'm the best. You know no one can do what I do. You think, oh, please, I'll, I'll get a $11 an hour kid to do what you do. Have that person leave and have the whole tent come down. Mm-hmm. As a boss, that, that's that you can't not even get. I mean, right now, that, I, that's your ultimate failure. I have, or, or not be prepared to do it yourself, which well, is part of being the boss but, too. But let's 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 stick to the subject of your rea- what, what 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 your reality, what's in your head, yeah. Versus what's in the other person's head. All right. So okay. So, so, so self concept versus what's well, me versus I. I as, have, as William James used to say, it's my sense of me versus I. I have probably twenty five people that work for me. Yeah. And I could go tell all of you. We could make three hats. We could make the man. This guy can't go anywhere. Hat. We could make the this guy could go. This guy could not show up tomorrow, and I wouldn't care. And then we got the. Uh, I, I I wouldn't like this person to leave, but I think we could figure it out. Yeah. Like we could get somebody else. Yeah. And I'd put on all of them. And so would Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, and he has 150 people, and they'd never be wrong about any of them. There's a so whoever it is, you got to know the boss. The boss knows. The boss needs to know. Now hold on, hold the phone. Okay, slow your roll. Would you want somebody to ask you which hat they wear? No, no. I would want you to show me which hat you wear. <laughs> no, what I'm what I'm saying is, <laughs> we did a show called Love Line uh, on MTV. Yeah, I had been in show business for not even ten minutes yeah. when we started that show. Right. Uh, I went and did the show for I think two seasons. Maybe we did 180 episodes or 60 episodes or whatever the hell we did in all in the whole run. No, in the first first two years. seasons. Yes. And then uh, when we were done with the first two seasons, I said, oh, no, yeah. I need a raise. Yeah. I need you to double my money from nothing to like almost nothing, but I need a raise. Now, I had to know what was in their head. I knew what was in my head. What was in my head is no one else can do this job. But what's in their head? You, But to be fair, for you, uh, uh, on that, your self-assessment, in terms of that kind of self-assessment is unusually accurate. Like I, I don't have the confidence even to think that kind of thing. You know what I mean? You, you, you don't say I'm confident. I'm not confident. You just say this is the fact. For me, my psychology gets in the way of it. Well, that's 
something to work on because for me, what I have, I have the luxury of nothing in my head. It's an empty vessel. (laughs) I have no preconceived thoughts about me. All, it's not even me we're talking no, about. I, I, I noticed notice how your head works. I my way, I have no yeah. thoughts about it. There is, I will stand by objectively, and we will figure out who can do this job better than I. And maybe Jerry Seinfeld can do this job better than I. Can you guys afford him? I don't think so. Not for nine hundred bucks an episode or whatever <laughs> they're paying us, right? Yeah. So I've 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 worked in a couple of. Uh, assessments assessments and i'm coming back with i need you to double my pay it's it's still it's a certain clarity you're able to achieve that it's hard it's not it sounds easy to you i i I can't do it well it, it can be done if but you have to constantly be assessing and what you can't do is go i'm this person well it's the dunning kruger effect remember i've talked about this a million times mm-hmm. dunning kruger is also the imposter effect the flip side of the dunning kruger is i feel like an imposter i don't really know anything sort of low self-confidence as opposed to dunning kruger which is the guy that gets up at american idol and says i'm a great singer and sounds like shit that's also dunning kruger and i think this this assessment this, these declarations about identity, I'm the honest guy, is still that Dunning-Kruger phenomenon. Because they don't – again, they don't see the me. They feel the I, but they don't see the me. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Yeah. So what you need to do is always kind of be in a sort of buoyant position, always kind of assess yourself. It's hard. Stop saying that. Mm-hmm. Stop saying it's hard every first, time I ask first, anyone to do first anything. Thing, first thing, <laughs> first thing I would like you to do. Stop it's saying that. It's hard. I'd like you to assess yourself in the that, all my own say crap. it's hard. That's my I crap. know because yeah. you're letting people off the hook. Yeah, that's right. It's a it's job, true. but it's, it's an important job. It's a very important job. It's, it's your your number one job is to know where you are with other people, and then when you know where you are, you'll know what to ask or what not to ask. I've had people come in and ask me things where I've just went, that's insane. Like, why would you think I would ever do that and know and see you? And I don't know what they thought was going to happen because they weren't calibrated correctly. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I did um, – I wrote for the Oscars last year and I wrote for free. And this year Jimmy asked me to come back and this year I'm going to get paid. And it's based on – performance from last year sure i didn't come in this year i didn't come in year one in demand to get paid i said let me do this for free and then let me impress you with what i can contribute to this big big machine here and uh and and next year i'll then let you decide whether you think i should get paid or not you and i've done a lot of that along the way that's all i've done and that's all anyone needs to do i didn't say pay me the first time. I didn't say don't pay me the second time. I didn't say pay me more the second time. I just said you just, you well, know, you same, figure it out. The same is true of even podcasting. You started podcasting to see if you could find an audience and then you went to see if you could sell it. You didn't find find sponsors first. It doesn't make sense. Right? I never I look. Everybody now the the part here's the part that doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Mm. I am well calibrated in terms of I'm no good 
if it's your if it's an anniversary or a birthday party. Okay. No good for that. All right. But I am well calibrated when I go, I think what I'm offering is fair. I don't think I'm being greedy. I don't think I'm being dismissive or whatever. I think I think my notion of how this apple should be whacked up and mm-hmm. who should get the most pieces and how we're going to do this. Because I'm very well calibrated, I think everything is very reasonable and very fair. And furthermore, state your case. Let me hear all that you have to say. And we'll see, because of my buoyancy, I may move your direction or another direction, depending on what, what, how calibrated you are. But then once we arrive on it, that'll, that'll be it. We'll be right back with more of the Adam and Dr. Drew Show Classics. Last up today, we go to episode 1028 titled, Let's Beat Up on Mr. Rogers. Man, what did he do? <laughs> the fellas go in on Mr. Rogers and how he wasn't as great as people made him out to be. It's a beautiful day to crack on a legend. Check it out. I, as a kid, wanted nothing to do. I wanted, I wanted to watch Sesame Street and the electric company about as much as I wanted to trade baseball cards or look at comic books. But, it had but, nothing yeah, for I had, me. I had, there was nothing in any of that stuff for me either, which I, feel, I actually always felt guilty about because I felt like that was I would have been more creative or something if I were somehow invested in that stuff, but I was not. Uh, but when Sesame Street hit, I was 10, mm-hmm. 11. Mm. And it, it was way sort of more youthful kind of programming. And I would argue it was like for two and three year olds, really. Like also, barely speaking. I always kids. feel sort of half whatever about like Mr. Rogers. I feel the did same. Did you watch that documentary about him? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I feel the same way about Mr. Rogers is I feel about Huel Hauser. Like on one hand, super nice guy who's just wasting everyone's time and money. Like well meaning. Well meaning, super authentic, sincere mm-hmm. guy. Well, authentic, but <laughs> with, with a little bit of a gloss of, uh, I don't know what that is. Didn't really want to have to compete in the real world. Also, not the guy you're going to go have a beer with. No, no way. No, no. Way. Like, I, I know we have to just go, hey, this guy's a hero, man. He loved to talk to kids. Hmm. But he, he didn't possess a lot of. I don't know. Like, if somebody says, "I know," somebody met him. I'm sure that somebody went, "That guy's got it." <laughs> no, but like when people describe, like his his greatest talent was for listening. Oh. Like, uh, how about Ben Vereen? <laughs> his greatest talent is tapping his ass off, like uh, right. or pl- playing the trumpet while he's tap dancing. Right. Like, how about a little more of that, and a little less listening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know who's listening right now. Me and my nana. She's been dead for nine years. Like, eh. I get it. And other people are like, five-year-olds aren't really ever listened to. And it's like, yeah, it's not saying much. Right. But he listened. Right. And I also feel with um, Mr. Rogers. Let's beat up on Mr. Rogers. His uh, That's a winning, winning proposition. Well, <laughs> it, 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 everything was so insanely cathartic for him, like, he had this childhood where he was like a fat kid and people didn't listen to him. And now he's just going to build his entire life around like listening to kids. It's fine. It just, I, here's what I'm saying. There's a, like I, whenever I look at performers, I kind of look at 
certain guys or girls and I go, I could never do that. Mm. And then you look at other people like Yoko Ono and Mr. Rogers and you go, I don't want to do that. Like, I feel like I could put the sweater on and fake it if I, in a pinch, but Mm -hmm. I don't really, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. That, look. I was bothered in that documentary, by the way, that, that he was, they were sort of offended by Eddie Murphy's comedic version. They should have been, they should have embraced it all the way. I think they said he he liked it. He, uh, I still got the feeling he was like like oh no, they all got me all wrong and no no this is great this yeah is highest honor. Well look, any I tip my cap to anyone who can figure out a way to get paid to do something that they want to do for a living that didn't formally exist. Yeah, like. Sure, Huel Hauser made a living wasting everyone's time, but he still made a living wasting everyone's but, time. But you learned about tortilla factories. Not really. <laughs> you didn't learn anything when you watched? It's because there's not much to know about do, do tortillas. We, we got to drop a couple of Huel Hauser sort of amazing. I love if, that. If you can find that, Gary. His, you can't write Huel Hauser. All right, anyway. I mean, when he went to the Baghdad Cafe, that was some of the greatest comedy I'd ever. The, I, there's two times, like they go, we're a comedian. Who makes you laugh? Does Dave Attell make you laugh? Does Jimmy Kimmel make you laugh? And I go, no. Huel Hauser. Huel Hauser makes me laugh. And, uh, and the great uh, Deacon Jones. Oh, because yeah. Because the, oh, yeah. the two hardest times I've ever laughed yes. watching TV is when Huel Hauser's got, the pho- got on the phone from the Baghdad Cafe and the timing. You got to go to that one park here. The timing's okay. Hey, Burt Lancaster, did, what's the story about behind Burt Lancaster? Did he eat here? Oh, you just like Burt Lancaster. Well, <laughs> well, you hung the picture up. Okay. <laughs> it was like the greatest zero burger. That that was like bigger than Al Capone's vault in like terms of he, like nothing like burgers. leave it on the show. That's the, it, it, it didn't cut it. Here, well, it? I, I, it's the greatest moment ever. I have it here to uh, just when he takes the phone. They get into Lancaster fairly quick. Right. That, that part and when... When uh, Deacon Jones goes, uh, well, I find <laughs> when you go upside a man or a woman's head, <laughs> they tend to blink their eyes. <laughs> it's the greatest. It's the greatest. It's the funniest moment on TV. It's better than any Seinfeld episode. Or woman. He's talking about NFL players exclusively. I know. There are no women in the NFL. Oh. There'd be zero reason to include women. All right, oh, well. so, oh, let's hear it one more time. It makes me laugh every time. Atkins' flood of breaking arms was the reality of the Deacon Jones head slap. The head slap was to do two purposes. One was to give myself an initial head start on the fast rush. In other words, an extra step. Because any time you go upside a man's head or a woman, then they have a tendency to blink their eyes. That's all I need. It's the greatest moment in TV. He's specifically asking about rushing the quarterback, not getting out of the entry hall. He's talking about rushing the quarterback. There's a context here. <laughs> he he sets the table by saying rushing the quarterback. He's not saying as human beings we're all wired very delicately. No, he's saying here's how I rush the quarterback. He's he's imagining hitting people inside the head. 
<laughs> I love that he included women. And I love that the NFL Network never caught it. I swear to God, I yelled about, I laughed about it on the air during the morning show, like in 2008 or whatever, and, and it magically left the NFL Network. Like somebody finally went, going, hey, do we have edit base here? Like, yeah. Aren't we just putting this up against game footage? Yeah. Well, why don't we just cut out a little early on Deacon talking about women? All right, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening to the Adam and Dr. Drew Show Classics. I've been your host, Big Brother Jake. Remember to check back each week for new episodes. And while you're at it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Deuces! Deuces!